Hello and welcome to the A-Form show. My name is Alan George and thank you very much for tuning in. Each week we sit across from thought leaders and change makers in the architecture and design space of the GCC. We dive deep into their experiences both professionally and personally and share their valuable insight as to what makes them tick. Our goal is to add value to your day and help you navigate your own personal creative journey. Finally, the opinions and the views of the guest speakers are that of their own. They do not necessarily represent the views and the opinions of the show or the host. On this week's episode, we have Agnes Koltai from Koltai Facades and Kareem Maluli from Guardian Glass. Agnes has a background in architecture and facade engineering. She has worked with multiple award-winning architects and international engineering offices before starting her own facade engineering consultancy, Colte Facades. During her time here in Dubai, she has been part of many iconic projects in the region, a few of which are the Museum of the Future, Fountain Views, the Five Jumeirah Village, and of course, Sky Views. In addition, we have Kareem Maluli today joining us, who holds a degree in marketing from the University of Beirut. He has worked for more than 10 years in the glass industry with architects and designers in the region. Kareem, as an architectural design manager in Guardian Glass, helps architects and designers specify the right glass for their project, aligning closely with their vision, energy efficiency, and aesthetic needs. Moreover, as a special treat, Guardian Glass have offered all the architects and designers of the A-Form show a free consultancy session on any of their projects. Completely no strings attached. Follow the link below to learn more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show Agnes and Kareem from Guardian Glass. Very lovely to have you both on. So I'm not going to waste any time and I'm going to get directly into it. Agnes the first question i had for you is i understand that your background is that of an architect as well but now you're in the world of facades so my first question to you is when you get a new project or you get a new you know request to create a design are you thinking more as an architect or a designer or are you thinking more from an engineering and you know technical side of the design <laughs> I have to think from both ways, but uh, somewhere deep, I'm much more of an architect than, than an engineer. And that's the profession that I imagined for myself when I was little. I wanted to be an architect since very early, early ages. And I wanted to do high-rise buildings. Actually, I wanted to do high-rise buildings before I could even speak English. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I was always inspired by, by good architecture. During your architectural studies, you learn certain principles in architecture, and from that on, you you can really appreciate good architecture. So, when it comes to a new project or or a potential new project, if it's good architecture, I I feel the kind of internal buzz more. Right, right. <laughs> right. And was there any moment wherein during your architectural career that you decided that? you wanted to focus on facade specifically was there any moment <laughs> yeah and that that was a a, a very well defined moment and it happened during university you know i did my bachelor i'm i'm hungarian and in hungary those days we had a couple of universities for for architecture so every year those days about 1000 1200 students for their degrees from all these universities in in architecture and um 
I realized that actually, you know, it's a very historical city, Budapest, and the country itself has, has their traditions. I wasn't sure if there's really a need for thousand new architects every year. But meanwhile, we had a few semesters. It was called construction detailing. It was pretty close to facade engineering, but it's not only facades, it's other building structures as well, construction detailing. And that was something which I found very logical and very interesting and very, I like the sequence in it to, you know, to mentally put things together and grow in those ways. And to be honest, not many students were, were good at that. Many of my peers were much more artistically inclined and, and that's great. I found myself more on the reality side of things rather than the, the artistic side of things. Right. And, and I started focusing on that part more. And even within my year, I got kind of a, a reputation for being good at that. And, and then I just kept it up. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's really good to hear that you found that speciality, you know, during your degree itself, because mm-hmm. many designers actually, you know, need to spend five years, 10 years kind of figuring out what they actually like doing. And you're quite lucky in that sense that you kind of got it that early on. I, I think it was uh, kind of lucky, yes. But also, I think that there's a bit of problem with university education because it gives you an idea like a very ideal world, which does not exist. Correct. No, it tells you that you will design and you will you will come up with this concept. And the real life is that you have to work hard for years before you design something. When you when you start somewhere, you start you know drawing staircases and toilet blocks and putting dimensions on drawings rather than designing concept. And it's a bit misleading at, at university. Also. I don't know what was your experience, but for, for me, when I got my degree and when my friends at university got their degree, the first thing that happens, someone in the family, friends of friends or relatives need something like they want to add a garage to their villa or they, they want to expand their villa or there's, I don't know, a small school building and they want an additional room for it or, you know, something like that. And, oh, yeah, yeah, my nephew's little daughter just got their degree. Let's ask her, you know. And then you are getting excited that, oh, yeah, I'm doing something. But then you realize that you actually don't know what to do about it because it's not about pretty drawings. It's about getting the authority permits, getting the NOCs, getting the drawings in a, in a certain format for the permissions. And you have no idea about the process of getting these permissions or figuring out what are the zoning regulations for that area and all that. And then you start asking your friends from university who were ahead of you a few years, you know, for, for advice. And that, that's when you start actually learning about what to do in real life as an architect. True. Um, I think, I think, you know, maybe not every university is like that, but my university definitely did not, not explain the process of what to do in real life. No, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of listeners listening to this because a lot of our listeners are designers. There's a lot of people who are nodding their head and saying, Yes, absolutely. That's how it was for us. Me personally, I think it was one of my uncle's offices fit out and then this coffee shop thing. And that's, I mean, no, that's, that's how it starts for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So moving, moving along from projects like, you know, neighboring coffee shops, a project I want to talk about was something which I'm pretty sure all of the country, if not the nation has seen already. It's kind of going viral on Instagram with its, you know, certain pool at a certain level and so on. Of course, I'm talking about the sky views in the downtown area, which Agnes was responsible for delivering the facades on. I don't want to know too much about the project, but from a designer point of view, 
I just want to understand what was the most exciting phase or exciting event for that project for you during its entire life cycle? <laughs> I think the most exciting part is still coming ahead of us. There okay. will be a tourist attraction on the building. It's a fully glazed enclosure. If you drive by, go around the building, you can actually see if you look up, but it's not officially opened yet. Okay. This tourist attraction will have a, an observation deck part and a couple other other things that you can do there as a tourist. It's not yet open, but the opening day will be certainly very exciting. Okay, so um, then we're gonna keep that we're gonna keep that under wraps then for now. But whoever's <laughs> listening, if by the time you've heard this and it's open, you should definitely go check it out. That's all I can say. I'm gonna quickly pivot to Kareem from Guardian Glass with the same question. From a glass point of view, was there a key exciting event or moment during this project for you? As you just said, it's an iconic new project in the heart of Dubai. And every time that we're faced or that we're working with new challenging designs, finding something that works and something that achieves the design intent of the architect is always a challenge. So it's finding that balance and knowing that that project will be there for at least the next 50 years. Everybody that will be looking at that building will see your glass, especially as Agnes said, it's a fully glazed twin tower. So that's the main challenge. So finding something that works and something that achieves the image or the aspiration of the architect. Well, I mean, that's clearly something that's very, very important. I think there's this disconnect between architects and designers generally and the technical know-how about how facades actually work. Because architects, I'm guilty of it, and I'm sure a lot of people are. We can you know, kind of design anything we want in our 3D models. But then when reality kicks in, we have to deal with things like you know, gravity and suddenly, you know, 10 meter glass fans don't work and things of that nature. So a question that I have for you, Agnes, is because of your architectural background, if there are architects listening to the show right now, are there a, you know, kind of top three design tips or design criteria that they should be looking out for when they're designing facades? Something which are simple, basic Mm. things which they may not know about. Difficult question. You know, I don't like to stereotype people and and stereotype architects either. We work with some architects who are extremely technical and we work with some architects who are very artistic uh, and then anything in between in this scale. And I think both of them can get valuable support and assistance from us, but that would be a different level and different type of involvement with both cases. And that's Something I learned working with good name architects and working at the Hardwood office myself. For creative freedom, you actually need to know less about technicalities because that gives limitations. To have your imagination free, actually, it's an advantage if you are not that technical. But on the other hand, for typical commercial projects, Technicality helps because it helps bringing everything in into a cost-efficient, rational environment. Top street tip, it really depends on the type of the project and the aim of the project. Whether the aim is to build an iconic structure, in which case a bit more uniqueness is, is a definite benefit, or it should be a more rational building, in which case it's less of a benefit. But yeah, knowing about standard material sizes is a definite <laughs> Good thing, and it helps at the beginning to bring everything in a modulation that is achievable within the budget. I don't know, I was not thinking about top three. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> if I, mean, I can, yeah, sure, 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 Kareem, jump in. Well, like because my role with the, with Guardian is to help architects and designers while in the design stage. So not just execution, but even while they're coming up with their concept, what can be used? And as Agnes said, what are the dimensions? What are the sizes that we can go up to? What can be done and what can't be done? So when, I, when always we're faced with a new design, especially if it's like a, an iconic structure, we want to ask a few questions. And based on that, we can know what the architect wants from their design and what we can offer in order to help them solve that issue. Or if you want to find the right design solution for their uh, concept. So usually it's where is the building located? And that's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, a building that's here in the desert does not react the same way as a building that's, let's say, in northern Canada or northern United States. Okay, so it's the climate. It's how much light do you want to come into the building. And it's also some of the local building codes. So a building, you have Dubai and you have neighboring Saudi Arabia. Almost similar climate, but you have a bit of differences in the building codes. So something that works here might not work there and vice versa. Another question is the use of the building. So whether it's a retail building or whether it's a commercial building or a residential building, it also plays an important factor in what glass or what facades do you want on that building. The orientation of the facades as well, because the same opening or the same facade facing east reacts differently to something that's facing west or other uh, orientations. And finally, it's the design intent. So the aesthetics. Do you want your building to look transparent? Do you want your building to look blue? Do you want your building to react with what's surrounding it? And stuff like that. So basically, if you want to like summarize it just from a practical point of view, these are the questions that we go through every time we're faced with a new challenge or with a new design. Right. And I think... I can add two more. I think sure. it's very important that the architect actually listens to the developer and responds to the developer's needs and program. It actually, I've seen it on quite a few buildings when the architect uh, over-designed in a way. And yep. it's extremely important that the, the architect listens to the developer's program and aim and desire and responds to that. It could be pretty painful at tender stage when all these model engineering are, are coming in because because the building tries to achieve more than than what the developer aimed for. And then I would also mention as important aspect even at design stage to have a bit of familiarity with the capability of, of local contractors. If it's not something which is traditionally done and there are a couple of contractors who are experienced with that type of building system structure, then it could take longer. It could be a bit more experimenting, a bit more learning curve on it. And it's important to, to factor in whether the project can allow for that or not. Right. I think the both of you touched on a very important topic. I think, Kareem, you're talking about, you know, design aesthetics of the building. And I think, Agnes, with, uh, you know, when, when you have something which has not been done before, not been seen before, especially for contractors when they need to execute it, it becomes a bit challenging. Dubai has... It could also be something that is done a million times in other countries, but in this specific region, it's, it's less traditional or less well-known. Correct. And Dubai being, you know, the place that we are kind of in is it's a city where a lot of different types of projects happen. And therefore, you do see a lot of different kind of facades also become part of that. 
A question that I have for you, Agnes, is there a certain amount of time or a certain amount of energy which you as a design firm spend in research and development for new technologies and new you know, building materials and so on? Quite a lot indeed. And it is uh, useful. You see, facade is the, among all the construction disciplines, is probably the, the one which has the most innovation and different elements, materials in play. Also, when people look at a building, they see the facade and it is an aspiration all the time to be a bit different, to be similar than the other buildings, but a bit different. And those visuals are addressed through the characteristics of the materials that you are using. It could be aesthetics or it could be structural. Like uh, if there's a stronger material invented, maybe it could span more or if suddenly a wave of uh, transporting a very big piece of glass is invented, then yes, it's possible to put, I don't know, a <laughs> very big piece of glass on the, on, on the building. So there's, there's a constant need and push for researching other ways. And over the years, these are getting implemented in certain projects. And once something is implemented on one project, there's already a precedent and example for some other projects to say that, okay, if that project could do it, then, then we could do something similar as well. One of these projects, which, which was definitely pushing the boundaries, was, was Opus and the, all the double curve gloss on Opus and some of the double curve tempered gloss on, on Opus, which was not possible, not possible, not possible for years. And then, and then suddenly uh, it, it could be within certain limitations and certain conditions possible. And then let's see what can we do from there. Right. I had the similar question actually from, from a designer point of view for Guardian, because I would imagine that you as a supplier, Kareem, or as a designer as well of facades, there must be a lot of R&D that you put in as well. And obviously you being, you know, kind of the source of everything, you'll probably know a little bit more. So what do you see as like, you know, things which are really improving and moving forward? Well, being part of the process at Guardian, I think Agnes answered it beautifully. They are always pushing the limits of what's possible. And they are always asking for the impossible, if you want, or especially what's not possible at the time being. And it's a constant cycle of feeding this information back to our R&D center. So we have a dedicated factory, a dedicated coating line in Michigan that we started in the year 2000. So we constantly feed that center with feedback or with what's required or what are the design trends. And we constantly feed this information to that center. And based on that, we keep on developing. We keep on trying to push the boundaries of what's possible, especially with glass. New coatings, new colors, new performance, how that coating can be processed. You talked about bending, so whether or not the coatings can be bent inwards or outwards. All of these things. So it's a constant cycle. We keep on receiving information from people who are leading the design of the future, especially that I'm working on projects that will become active or live in the next two to three to five years, sometimes even 10 years, depending on the process. So we constantly feed all of this uh, information back to our headquarters and they help us in developing new products all the time. Now, we also have another advantage that we're present here in the region. So we have a local presence, but we also have the multinational and the almost 100 years experience. So once we receive those new products, we sometimes even add some new customized details for them. Like if we have a new range coming and that's been used in Europe, 
you know that the requirements in Europe are not exactly the same as the ones we have here. So we also have our input on that and our factories can modify those to fit the glass or to fit the requirements of this region. That's the biggest advantage. So we do spend quite a lot of time on research and development because we want to be known as a local uh, supplier, but with a multinational uh, presence. Can I ask something? Maybe it's not part of this uh, thing, but, you know, I think the world will change definitely after this Corona period. And uh, before where Guardian could best showcase this new research findings and and outcomes were were, uh, the fairs and conferences and exhibitions. Last second, Düsseldorf and, and events like that. This year, obviously, everything like that is cancelled. Some of them even cancelled for next year. And people are, maybe even if such an event is held, no one is sure if the attendance will be as, as good as before. Have Guardian discussed it internally? Uh, have, have you guys already figured some other way to broadcast your, your, your new... Uh, um, Definitely. Developments to, to architects and people? As you said, there, is, there are uh, a couple of glass uh, exhibitions that happen every year around the world. And usually Guardian takes part in these exhibitions and has a big showing, if you want, big showing area and uh, where it's, uh, it's showing its new developments and its new products. The research and development is still there. However, announcing or broadcasting that message to, to our uh, partners is different. And as we're doing right now, we're having a meeting that might have happened live or sitting on one table about six months ago. Now we're having, we're doing it all in the comfort of our own uh, houses. So Mm. the the research and development is still there. The innovation is still there. The technology behind it is still there. However, uh, broadcasting or communicating that message with our partners is definitely going to change. We are looking more into webinars, into even how to handle our physical samples that are being sent from our factories all over the world. So all of that is being looked into. Awesome. Well, that's really good to hear because, I mean, like like you said, Agnes, there is going to be some kind of new normal for sure. I mean, it's very good that you brought up samples because that was something I was thinking about because that's the one thing which you still have to physically, you know, touch and see and, you know, have an actual physical thing present in front yeah. of you. So, but the fact that Garden's already thinking about that is quite promising. From a again, from a designer, well, a well, a sustainable designer, if you may. There's there's this product which I'm sure you've all heard of. It's it's called BIPV, Building Integrated Photovoltaics. It's this clear glass that kind of can generate some amount of electrical current and so on. Obviously, this is out there, and I I, I don't know of a lot of buildings that actually have implemented it, but. My question to you, Agnes, would be, where do you see the kind of facade trends going towards in, say, the next 10, 20 years for this region? Are there any kinds of products or any kind of uh, design techniques which you see will become standard? The thing is with VIPV that it actually comes up on a lot of, a lot of projects. So during, during design stage, it's actually quite frequently discussed and, and researched. The reason why you don't see it on too many building builds is because the outcome of that, that study is many times the, the conclusion that the, the capital needed to, to put it on the building does not bring any significant uh, return or uh, savings. And the reason for that is actually that even if you build a, a high building, the area of the facade uh, is still 
well, you cannot use the full area of the facade. You you have to have some some areas for uh, vision glazing. You have to, you know, uh, have some amitilovers, whatever on the building. But the area that can be used, uh, BITV, for example, may not be sufficiently big to to generate power. Also, it's reliant on, uh, on on the sun and it's reliant on immediate use because long-term storing of energy is still not solved uh, adequately. So you see, my opinion, that if you want to generate power, you should build a power station. If you want to build a building, you should build a building. And it could be combined. It could be a building and then 15 kilometers from it, you have a big area in the desert where you put all the solar panels or all the you know, energy generating uh, devices, and 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 then you have sufficient energy for for the building. The, this type of combination, it's a it's a little bit like a mobile phone. You can take a picture, but still, if you want to do professional photography, you get a you get a separate camera. So, so that could be the reason why you don't see BITV applied on buildings too frequently. But you know, there's research and development in it as well, and uh, maybe in a couple more years' time, it, uh, it it will be big time. What was the other part of your question? Trends, so, yeah. Yeah. So, what are the kind of trends you see specifically for this region in facades? It's a very difficult question because the trends depend on the actual developers and the, and the projects. You know, like one one developer could have a, a very different target in terms of target audience or or uh, target investors than than another it's hard to say that it's a trend yeah it is it is honestly quite difficult i mean in in this time of corona we've had a lot of our projects which have scaled back which have been severely value engineered if not stopped and there's a lot of you know cutbacks because of this time and do you see that as an opportunity in any way from a facade's point of view do you see that as a way for you to maybe kind of propose something which would have otherwise previously never been considered but because of Corona now just might be. I don't know if it's because of Corona or not, but Dubai did reach a, a stage when the, when it became pretty built up. And although there's still room to, to build more, but maybe not with as intensity as, as before. And as the, the property market becomes more and more saturated and the demand is coming in waves, but currently it's probably on the on the lower side. I do have the hope that quality becomes more important of a, of a consideration. And by quality, I mean the performance of the building envelope, the construction quality, design quality, and quality of materials, the durability of materials, the, the aesthetics of, of materials. The, the way how it's put together, the tolerances, the alignment, and, and performance, solar performance, thermal performance, acoustic performance, fire performance, water tightness, air tightness, which is a, a thing here. I think all of us uh, over the years probably had balcony doors with leaks through some water uh, at <laughs> those uh, few times when it, when it rains in Dubai and, and dust as well. Yeah, you, you go for a one week holiday and you come back and you have a little sand dune in your, in your living, living room. That, you know, that happened to all of us and it's kind of, okay, this is Dubai. I think these could be less and less acceptable and they can be avoided. Sometimes it 
comes with a bit of a price increase, especially when we talk about like water tightness performance of um, of uh, openings. And sometimes it comes with a bit of increase of the of the construction time because it takes longer to build something carefully and to inspect multiple times than than to build it very quick. But I think the investor side will will consider and have to consider performance more and more. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree completely. Kareem, what are your thoughts on it? Do you see a similar kind of trend? Well, while Agnes was telling the story of how Dubai has changed, I I was nodding my head because I couldn't but agree with everything that she said. I've been in this, I've been in Dubai for 10 years now, and I've been in this industry for a little bit more than 10 years. And the changes that I've seen can, I can only answer your question by telling you, I can tell you where we will be one year or two years from now, but nobody knows for the future. And that's for the following reasons. When I came here 10 years ago, everybody wanted blue or even green and definitely not silver, away from reflective silver. After that, a few years after that, I can see Agnes is agreeing. Everybody started wanting those neutrals or neutral grays. Well, now we're at a time where everybody wants reflective and silver again, but with a little bit with a tweaking on the light transmittance and other stuff. So it's like with fashion that you feel that the cycle or the trends is going, keeps going in circles, but we keep on improving the things that we have and we make them more abundant. We make them easier to reach. Another uh, example is 10 years ago, most of the glass installed here was imported. Now, because of the past 15, 20 years of construction and challenging designs in the UAE or even the region. Most of the expertise at one, at a certain point in time was located here. So you actually had more building knowledge, more architectural knowledge in this part of the world than the rest of the world, because most of the challenging designs were happening in this part of the world. Agnes's firm is a very clear example. We used to import glass. Now we've as Guardian, we've supplied last year some products from here, manufactured in the region, all the way to Montreal in Canada. So imagine that. We completely changed the cycle. COVID presented with a new challenge that nobody expected. I read something the other day that, where did you see yourself in 2015? And nobody had that question right. So COVID is definitely a challenge. But COVID also opened our eyes to what is what might come next. Nobody knows. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So now, exactly. Yeah. And we are talking about trends and what do you see in the in the future? COVID taught us that you can only for three three days basically. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what will happen three days time? Right. Don't care. Back. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. True, true, true. No, I, I never really believed in long-term business planning and probably Guardian has, has a long-term business planning because you are, you are a big, big organization. But with, with my size of company, I, I think we have to stay flexible and a certain level of planning is necessary. But above that, it makes you more restricted than, than, than helps. So it's not unfamiliar to me to, you know, not, not to know what will happen in five years' time. But I think COVID made it involved everyone in, in, in this situation. You know, no, no one is, is certain about future. Yes, I think you're right, Agnes, in that sense that it probably depends on the size of your company as well. When you're kind of looking, you know, towards the future, especially because of COVID, like, you know, both you and Kareem said, 
no one really knows where it's going. But of course, I guess as designers in the field, we all kind of look at this with the sense of optimism that, you know, it will probably get better. If I may just pivot, this gave me an interesting thought about how when you design facades, designing facades and actually constructing them is a small part of the actual life cycle of the facade. But then just like a building, it needs to actually stand the test of time over its life cycle. And therefore, you have a lot of other issues, you know, like maintenance and, you know, so on. And a building which I'm thinking about specifically is, again, sky views. Agnes, if you can shed some light on how the maintenance of that buildings happen in terms of its facade, if you can maybe touch on the kind of BMU system you have and so on, I think our listeners would really benefit. It's a good question. Skyview actually has the most complex BMU strategy of, of all of our projects. And that's because the unique geometry of the, of the building. So first of all, it has this big sky bridge connecting the, the two towers. So we do have BMU unit roof units at the, at the top of the two towers. Uh, and they can reach a portion of the facade, but they cannot reach below the, the belly of the, of the sky bridge. So there are additional machines located there at the floor below the, the sky bridge. But that floor is also heavily occupied by the, by the steel truss that supports the, the sky bridge. So the, the movement of that BMU machine is, is pretty restricted. Additionally, there are these flying beams added on the building as decorative elements to help the transition, the visual transition of the of the tower to the to the sky bridge. So those uh, those flying beams obstruct the drop of the uh, of the machine. So there had to be a few more systems depending on the on the location added to. Additionally there's the observation deck, the U-shaped glazed uh, enclosure that has monorails for for access to, to for frequent cleaning. But also there needs to be a separate solution for bringing glass in case of, of breaking. And then there's this other tourist feature, which is a giant piece of glass that had to be elevated in, in Bongo. And you asked me about interesting moments on, on Skyview. That was another interesting moment when, when that structure was elevated. It's not supposed to break. Glass is glass. And if anything happens and for some reason it needs to be replaced, there's a separate crane on the building, which was used for the, for the installation and it's there permanently for uh, potential maintenance if, if anything needed. So all in all, there are 22 different BMU systems in this, in this building. I think it's kind of record-breaking. It could have been less if the geometry is different, but the geometry drives the needs and uh, still the building has to be accessed at every location for not only cleaning, cleaning is the easier part, but for a glass replacement and, uh, and maintenance. Right. So it, it, it was a giant BMU strategy task. Right. Generally speaking, in terms of, you know, like you said, maintenance and glass breakage and things like that, projects over here, do you see that being something which happens quite common? I mean, is, is glass actually replaced as frequently? Uh, it's not very frequent, but if it happens and you cannot access easily, then it's an unnecessary risk to, to life because pedestrians on their knees can get injured when the piece of glass falls. And you know, after breakage, it, it can stay in place depending on the on the design of it. it. Can stay in place for a while, 
but it's not safe anymore. And if a little bit bigger wind comes, it, it can disengage. So it, it is a safety risk. And then replacement of it, if, if not designed for, could be really expensive with closure of the street, bringing some giant crane, building up something, bringing the piece of glass. It could be a headache. With something like sky views, because it's a high rise and you do so many high rise buildings, do you do a lot of wind tunnel tests on some yes. pieces? Yes, yes. It's actually almost all of our projects, as you correctly said, because they are high rise buildings. Depending on where the building is, it could be mandatory by, by authority regulation above a certain height anyway. But for taller buildings, buildings above 100 meters, depending on the shape or, or complex shape buildings or, or if the environment is such, it's definitely bringing advantages. Advantages in terms of more optimal design because we would have the knowledge of where exactly the high wind pressure spots are happening and then we can specify the, the stronger materials the different solutions for, for those areas only so it, it brings that cost benefit right and kareem on your end do you see similar kind of scenarios working out or i mean like because you're from guardian's end what are your thoughts on it well the frequency of it is not at an alarming rate, but it does happen, yes. And just to add to something that Agnes mentioned, it's always, there are plenty of risks involved in actually getting the replacement there or replacing the glass, but also there is a logistical hassle, which is sometimes sourcing the glass. That's another issue that was highlighted by COVID. Like all of a sudden, when uh, all of the ports, all of the transport, all of the shipments stopped, you still, some projects still had to be completed and sourcing the material was a hassle. Right. You know, it's an interesting point because you, you were asking about trends. And now I remember one. 10, 15 years ago, all the specification had like 10% ethics stocks per part, especially glass and then accessories, gaskets, uh, all kinds of uh, bits, and, bits and pieces. All that glass was stored somewhere in the building. It took up a lot of space. But if a piece of glass broke, you could be 100% sure that the replacement will match perfectly in color. These days, our experience is that there's a higher level of confidence from uh, glass suppliers that they can match the exact same color even after many years, even if it's a different production run. And there may not be a need to buy this glass in advance and store somewhere just in case. Is that correct for him? Definitely. Uh, shelf life is a very important factor. This is a problem or a challenge that we tried to remedy a long time back by relying on basically clear glass. And even the design as asking for a colored appearance of the glass, we can achieve that color with, with the coating itself and not with the tint of the glass. Okay, so that's something that we've been working towards for quite some time now. And the advantage behind this is Clear glass is always produced, always uh, reliable, and it's always there. And if a replacement piece or a replacement order comes 10 years from now, as long as you have the coating machine and you still have the same uh, configuration, you can produce exactly the same color. So reliability, in addition to other things like color rendering and neutral and even more uh, lower carbon footprint because producing clear glass is much more eco-friendly. 
I think I think honestly that's that's quite refreshing to hear because this is something I've always wondered upon that if you had to replace a certain panel of glass or a certain you know areas of glass, how do you actually color match? And you know this is brilliant if this can actually be done. Going back to a bit of sky views, Agnes, I wanted to ask from a lot of people keep saying facades are kind of like skins of the building. And therefore, they can't really be rigid. They need to kind of, you know, adjust and move ever so slightly along with the building in order for it to work. So again, a lot of our designers might not know how technically that would work. If you can kind of shed some light on that in terms of sky views on how the facade came about. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's why during detail design stage, we have a giant amount of coordination with the structural engineers to learn how the building behaves under certain extreme events like earthquake or, or a heavy wind and agree on, on uh, some range values which is still feasible for the, for the facade system and feasible for the, for the base building as well. So depending on what threading system it is, there are different ways to take up these movements, but these are in different, differential floor movements. So the, the important thing is how floor 38 and 39 behaves re- relative to, to each other. And that's what need, needs to be taken up by the by the cladding unit in between the cross floor. So in general, a unitized system can allow better for, for these movements. That's why it's a more common system for, for high-rise construction. And SkyView itself is a unitized system. It has a faceted third floor plan. So the the mullions allow for that angular kink at every unit to, yes. to create this this outline. Alan, uh, one small story that I can tell you is about replacements. I just remembered that we supplied glass for the address building in downtown, right. and this was a project that was completed, I think, more than ten years ago. At the time, we didn't have the coating facility in Ras Al Khaima. We yes, were getting our coated glass. Yes, because I was just going to ask, the address building in downtown at the moment is a little vague. You need to be a little more specific. As ah, to okay, it's, it's, the address, it's the address building in, uh, on the boulevard that had the incident about uh, five years ago. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So that building, it was completed before we had our coating facility in Ras Al Khaima. So all of the glass, all of the coating, coated the glass was imported from Luxembourg, from our factory in Europe. And after the incident, most of the facade had to be replaced. So, but now we had our facility in Rack and we had all of our coating factory over there. And most of the replacement uh, glass, actually all of the replacement glass was brought from our uh, facility in Rack. So here you have the same building, the same facade with two different sources of glass looking exactly the same. The, the problem or the challenge of the placements, it's something that we always keep in mind, especially for new projects. And uh, especially that I said, this, whatever project we do, it's going, to be, it's going to be representing us or representing our brand for the next 50 years. Right. Well, that does make, again, a lot of people seem, you know, confident in that, you know, a lot of these things are being taken care of because, you know, like I said, I don't think any of our listeners actually maybe know that that's actually the amount of effort that you know you put in on your end as guardian, which is obviously really, really good. A final question back to you, Agnes, was again, sky views. From a design point of view, the overall outcome, maybe from what you started in your concept to what actually got built, 
how close is the actual end product to what you had envisioned in the first place? It's a very good question because buildings can change a lot compared to <laughs> what it is designed to be and, and what it becomes at the, at the end. But to be honest, Skyview, we are pretty happy with. It's very close to, to the design intent from, from a facade point of view and facade and the facade access point of view. And the system adopted by the, by the contractor is following in concept the systems that we specified. The specialist areas like the lobby glass hall or, or the tourist features or the, the elevator, panoramic and elevator enclosures are, are exactly as we specified and designed them. The glass is the glass color, <laughs> exactly as per specification. Actually, actually, it was a developer's selection. The proximity of the tower to Burj Khalifa and the whole look of, uh, of Dubai downtown made them wanting the, the building look very similar to Burj Khalifa. So the, the coating on the glass is exactly the same as on Burj Khalifa. The substrate is slightly different and the glass thickness, the glass buildup is, is different because of the different exposure of the, of the facade, both from wind and, and the noise acoustic aspects. So if you put next to each other the two glass, there will be a slight difference, but all in all, it's very similar in look and it contributes to the homogeneous look, identical or similar architectural uh, language of the, of the downtown area. It's right. the same identity. You can identify that these two projects are related in a way. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the same goes to, to Address Boulevard. That was exactly. also a project and that's also Guardian Glass with the, with the same coating. Hmm. Yeah, they all, they all kind of have the same architectural design language to them. I mean, to, to an extent, of course. But yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I think in terms of the... Yeah, I mean, also uh, Skyview uh, has stainless steel. Bush Khalifa has stainless steel. The stainless steel is a, a, a different aesthetical quality when the sun hits it, especially sunset time. You, you just cannot replicate that with, uh, with, with aluminum. It's, it's very unique. So we are, we are actually pretty proud of being involved in, in a stainless steel building. They, they are a, a different aesthetical quality. And uh, this glass coating, this still very, very reflective uh, coating, complements the stainless steel look very well. Right. So very we actually think of, of the coating itself because both buildings, when you look at them at different times of the day, it's a completely different appearance. So yes. the, the Silver 20 is actually like a reactive or an interactive coating. So it depends on what's surrounding it, what time of the day it is, how the sky looks like, whether it's gloom, it's a gloomy day or it's a blue sky or if it's a sandy sky. So the, the facade, you never get bored with it. It has a high reflectivity and it has a, a neutral silverish color which mirrors back the, the, the environment. Exactly. But my favorite time is still, still sunset. Sunset yeah. time can be beautiful. Yeah, I think it looks like an orange reflective sword in the middle yeah. of the desert. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think especially because um, I've I've kind of been near the beach looking back at the building quite a few times. Yeah. That's that really is quite a sight. If anyone's listening and you want to check it out, go to the beach, wait for go sunset. To the beach. <laughs> wait for sunset and kind of just see how the building looks at that golden hour time, especially. Really beautiful. Cool. For that, I would want to thank you both, Agnes and Karine, for being part for of the your show. Time and organizing and editing all this. Nice evening, Agnes and Alan. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.
fellow A-formers. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being part of our journey and thank you for the immense support we've been receiving for our episodes. It has and continues to be a very bumpy road, but we wouldn't want it any other way. If you enjoyed this episode and it brought you value, please share this episode with anyone who may benefit from it. But of course, if you loved the episode, follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn, send us a little DM, and we may just send you a secret link to a secret episode which we've been working on. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. See you next time. Keep sketching.